Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and all show long, a celebration of Christmas. Up next, our next story comes to us from a man who's simply known as the History Guy. His videos are watched by hundreds of thousands of people of all ages over on YouTube. The History Guy is also heard here on Our American Stories. Let's take a listen to the History Guy as he recalls the forgotten history of Christmas trees. Traditions involving evergreen plants in midwinter are as ancient as civilization. The winter solstice, the point where one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun, occurs in December in the northern hemisphere, very close to Christmas, usually December 20th or 21st. The solstice represents the longest night and the shortest day of the year, and days thereafter will grow longer until the summer solstice. Many ancient religions saw the significance. To them, winter came because the sun god had grown ill or weak, and the solstice was a cause for celebration as it represented the day when the sun god began to recover. Evergreen plants were used because they represented the triumph of life over death. In ancient Egypt, on the solstice, people decorated their homes with green palm fronds in a celebration of Ra, the god of the sun. Ancient Romans celebrated Saturnalia, a raucous festival in honor of Saturn, the god of wealth and agriculture, in mid-December. And the festival of gift-giving and libation included decorating the home with evergreen boughs. 
Celtic druids in ancient Britain decorated evergreen trees at the onset of winter to ensure a fruitful coming year. Germanic peoples venerated sacred trees and oaks and associated the evergreen tree with the god Baldr, who was associated with the sun. In ancient Germanic and Scandinavian traditions, trees were seen as a protection from the wild hunt, a chaotic time when a mythical figure led a hunt of souls that could spell doom. In Scandinavian folklore, the hunt was led by the god Woden and occurred during the midwinter festival called Yule, whose traditions affected many later Christmas traditions. But it's not clear how, if at all, these pre-Christian traditions affected the modern tradition of Christmas trees. A more likely predecessor is mystery plays, plays that depicted biblical stories that were the origin of passion plays. Mystery plays started to be introduced into sacred services in Europe around the 5th century. The plays would be associated with dates, and in many countries, the liturgical calendar celebrated Saints Adam and Eve on December 24th. The mystery plays on Christmas Eve, therefore, often feature the so-called Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, also called the Tree of Life, from which Eve took the apple given to Adam. The tree was decorated with red apples and white wafers. The decoration of a Christmas bough by the Catholic religious order of Cistercians, noted in a 15th century reference to an evergreen bough decorated with red oranges and candles, is seen by some as the earliest reference to a Christmas tree. But the tradition of Christmas trees might actually not be related to pre-Christian pagan traditions or even to Christian mystery plays. According to a December 18, 2020 edition of National Geographic, the cities of Riga, Latvia and Tallinn, Estonia have an ongoing argument over which city was the first to host a real Christmas tree. And that debate has to do with a mysterious medieval order called the Brotherhood of the Blackheads. Established in what was then called Livonia in the mid-13th century, the Brotherhood was an association of local unmarried merchants, shipowners, and foreigners. Originally created help fight an indigenous uprising against Christianity called the St. George's Night Uprising in 1543. While the order had a military history and chivalric tradition, it was largely an association of merchants and tradespeople. In the middle 15th century, they apparently took up the practice of raising and decorating a real or ersatz tree with fruits and nuts in their guild hall. They would then haul the tree to the middle of town, dance around it, and set fire to it. Latvia claims the first such event occurred in Riga in 1510, and Estonia claims the first was in Tallinn in 1444. But the evidence is sketchy to support either claim. While the debate is seen to affect tourism travel for Christmas celebration, the odd thing is that these supposed first Christmas trees might not have had anything to do with Christmas. As a historian for the National Library of Latvia, quoted in the New York Times in 2016, notes that these events were likely rooted in rituals and traditions unique to the Blackheads, when biannual celebrations served as a means of inducting new members. Thus, the Christmas tree tradition might actually have been secular. The first firmly dated representation of a Christmas tree is in 1576 in Alsace, which is today part of France, but is on the border with Germany and holds many German traditions. The Christmas market in the Alsatian city of Strasbourg is among the oldest in Europe, dating as far back as 1570, and at least in modern times is famous for its Christmas tree. The practice of decorating a tree in the home as we know it today is generally seen as having evolved in Germany in the 16th century. The tradition may have been associated with Protestantism, as the trees in the homes might have been a Protestant response to the Catholic tradition of Christmas cribs, or nativity scenes. Most directly, the story of decorating a Christmas tree has been associated with the 16th century religious reformer, Martin Luther. According to the story, Luther was walking home one winter evening and was struck by the beauty of brilliant stars against the evergreen trees of the German forest. He brought a tree to his home and decorated it with candles as a way to represent the scene. Writer Dorothy Haskins explained, he wanted to stand there, evergreen, as a reminder to his children that when the world was at its bleakest moment, sad and helpless and covered with the weight of sin, God sent his son, everlasting life itself, to bring hope in the midst of the dark and chill. Although it isn't clear if the story of Luther is real or apocryphal, the tradition quickly became associated with Protestant reformers, and a Christmas tree was placed in the Cathedral of Strasbourg at the direction of reformer Martin Bucer in 1539. The tradition became common in the Upper Rhineland by the 18th century, but less so along the Lower Rhine, where there was a Roman Catholic majority. However, trees also have a particular meaning in Catholic doctrine, and the Catholic Church often cites an 8th century AD story, where St. Boniface cut down an oak tree called Donor's Oak in Central Germany that was being used as a pagan symbol, and instead offered a fir tree as a holy tree, that being an evergreen represented endless life, as the origin of the Christmas tree. 
If so, the Vatican was somewhat slow in coming to the party, only starting a Christmas tree tradition in St. Peter's Square in 1982. And you've been listening to the History Guy tell the story of the origins of the Christmas tree. And we love hearing from him regularly. And you can go to our website and put in History Guy and catch all of the work he's done. And it's so good. Or better still, go to his YouTube channel and look up the History Guy and you'll find it. And just enjoy yourself. It's a really unique voice he has and a great grasp of detail as it relates to almost every subject imaginable. When we come back, more with the History Guy and more on the history of the Christmas tree here on Our American Stories. Lee Habib here, the host of Our American Stories. Every day on this show, we're bringing inspiring stories from across this great country. Stories from our big cities and small towns. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and give. And we continue with Our American Stories and with the History Guy and the history of the Christmas tree. By the 19th century, the tradition had taken hold all across Germany and was seen to be uh, an expression of German culture. In fact, that is how the tradition of Christmas trees luckily first came to the United States, with Hessian troops fighting in the American Revolution, as well as with German immigrants as early as 1777. Still, the tradition was not widely accepted in the U.S., where it was largely perceived as a quaint foreign or even pagan tradition. If Protestants created the Christmas tree tradition in Germany, they vehemently opposed it in England. The Puritans saw Christmas as a frivolous addition to the religious calendar and were particularly offended by wasteful excess like singing carols and decorating trees. A 1643 ordinance during the Protectorate encouraging subjects to treat the midwinter period with more solemn humiliation because it may call to remembrance our sins and the sins of our forefathers who have turned this feast, pretending the memory of Christ, into an extreme forgetfulness of him by giving liberty to carnal and sensual delights. As Lord Protector, Oliver Cromwell had troops patrol the streets to arrest anyone who looked like they were headed to a special Christmas Eve service and confiscate any food discovered being prepared for Christmas celebrations. The same attitude prevailed among Puritans in the Americas. According to History.com, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts enacted a law banning any celebration of December 25th and fining people for hanging decorations. The change in both Great Britain and the United States was imported from Germany via the royal family. The tradition of decorating a whole tree was brought to the British royal family by Queen Charlotte, wife of George III, in 1800. While the tradition did not, by and large, at the time spread beyond the royal family, it was well recognized by young Victoria Alexandrina, who would later be crowned Queen Victoria. When she married her cousin, Prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha in 1841, the Queen and her consort made a point of advertising their Christmas traditions, reinforced by Albert's German heritage, with their eventual nine children. The traditions slowly became more popular, boosted significantly when the Illustrated London News portrayed the royal family with their tree in 1848. Status-conscious Britons quickly began emulating the royal couple. The tradition briefly fell out of favor due to the anti-German sentiment during the Great War, but by the 1920s was common among all classes. A special tradition was started following the Second World War, where the government of Norway, since 1947, donates a Norway spruce tree each year to the people of Britain as a token of gratitude for British support during the Second World War, when the British government hosted the Norwegian government in exile. The tree is a focus of a traditional carol singing program, and according to the webpage of the City of London, for many Londoners, the Christmas tree and the carol singing in Trafalgar Square signals the countdown to Christmas. The city bills the tree as the world's most famous Christmas tree. As with the United Kingdom, the Christmas tree tradition was spread throughout Europe by the largely intermarried European nobility. Nobility was not quite as popular in the United States, but upper-class, status-conscious Americans tended to emulate their European peers. In an odd twist, the 1848 illustration of the Queen and her concert was also popular in the United States, printed in the women's magazine Godey's Ladybook in 1850, but was modified to remove the Queen's crown and the Prince Consort's sash, resembling a more typical family. 
The well-known illustration is credited with popularizing Christmas trees in the United States, where there were more than three million Germans who had immigrated between 1840 and 1880, and the Puritan fervor of the 17th century had faded. Still, various complaints about the German tradition being un-American persisted through the Great War period. There is some anecdotal evidence that a tree was placed in the White House in the 1840s under the Tyler administration and others that a tree was placed during the Pierce administration in the 1850s. But the most credible reports do not place a Christmas tree in the White House until 1889 during the Benjamin Harrison administration, when it was placed on the second floor and decorated with candles for the Harrison grandchildren. But a White House Christmas tree did not become an immediate tradition and was left to the whims of the occupant and often depended upon whether there were children in the White House. First Lady Lou Henry Hoover started a tradition of an official White House tree with decorations decided by the First Lady in 1929. With only two exceptions, the White House Christmas tree has been placed on the first floor Blue Room since 1961 and is commonly called the Blue Room Christmas Tree. The tradition of placing a tree in Rockefeller Center in Midtown Manhattan between West 48th and 51st Streets and 5th and 6th Avenues didn't begin until 1931. The first tree was placed by construction workers building Rockefeller Center. Workers pooled their money for the tree, which was decorated with homemade decorations made by their families. In 1933, Rockefeller Center decided to make an annual tree a tradition, and the now iconic ice rink was opened in 1936. The lighting of the tree was first televised in 1950, and today the ceremony is broadcast to hundreds of millions, and as many as 125 million people visit the tree in a normal year. While early traditions included ersatz trees, often wooden platforms covered with evergreen boughs, something approximating a modern artificial tree was developed earlier than you might think. By the 1880s, Germans became concerned about the use of Christmas trees because of deforestation. As a solution, a type of artificial tree made of green dyed goose feathers wrapped around a wire frame was developed. Feather trees were popular throughout the 19th century and had a brief surge of popularity in the United States in the early 20th century when they were sold at department stores and touted for not dropping needles. In 1930, a maker of housewares, the Addis Brush Company, produced an artificial tree made from brush bristles. They used the same process and equipment used for making toilet brushes, but used green bristles and were sold into the 1950s. Aluminum trees, manufactured from about 1955 into the 1970s, were briefly popular in the United States. More than a million were produced by the Aluminum Specialty Company of Mantowoc, Wisconsin, between 1959 and 1969. But in 1965, a Charlie Brown children's cartoon portrayed aluminum trees as symbols of the commercialization of Christmas, and the market faded. Today, there is a market for vintage and antique trees, such as feather trees, addis brush trees, and aluminum trees, but most modern artificial trees are made of PVC and most commonly manufactured in China. There are ongoing debates about the economic and environmental impacts of real versus artificial Christmas trees. A 2017 survey by the American Christmas Tree Association found that around 81% of America's approximately 95 million Christmas trees were artificial, although other surveys suggest that the number may be closer to around two-thirds. Still, as many as 30 million natural Christmas trees are produced in the United States every year, and as many as 60 million in Europe. While the tradition seems harmless, a 2020 survey by the website Value Penguin found that nearly 1 in 20 Americans having been injured while putting up a Christmas tree, and three-quarters admit to have forgotten to turn the lights out at night, which can be a fire hazard. According to the National Fire Protection Association, there's an average of about 160 home fires in the United States attributed to Christmas trees each year, causing around $10 million in property loss and an average of two deaths per fire. To limit the risk of fire, the website AccuWeather suggests buying fresher looking trees, keeping them well watered, shaking the tree to see if the needles are detaching, checking the lights and turning them off at night, and keeping the tree away from heat sources such as radiators, fireplaces, and candles. And even with their long history, the future of Christmas trees still looks very bright. A 2019 report on CNN noted that in the previous year, 2018, more Christmas trees were sold in America than ever before in history. The reason is that the generation called the Millennials are now settling down and having children. Jessica Lutz of the American Realtors Association asserts that Millennials might actually be more attracted to Christmas trees than previous generations because of their obsession with posting photographs on social media, where a picture of the family in front of the Christmas tree is quickly becoming an Instagram staple. And you've been listening to the history of the Christmas tree. A special thanks on the production to Greg Hangler, and a special thanks as always to the History Guy, and you can find him on YouTube. And the range, breadth, and depth of his storytelling is remarkable. 
And by the way, who knew that it was President Hoover's wife who institutionalized the Christmas tree as we know it outside the White House? And my goodness, as a kid growing up in northern New Jersey, it was unimaginable to skip a Christmas not going to Rock Center and seeing the Christmas tree and its lighting. 125 million people a year visit that tree, and it was started because a bunch of construction workers building Rockefeller Center had decided to put up their own makeshift tree. The story of the Christmas tree, 30 million more or less natural Christmas trees a year, are used by Americans. The story of the Christmas tree, a staple of American life here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER this is it your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, 
Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories. Every year around Christmas, countless people dress up as Santa Claus, donning the red costume just to spread some joy to kids eagerly anticipating good times. Today, our own Monty Montgomery brings us the story of a man who does just that. Take it away, Monty. John Rogers of McDonald County, Missouri, plays Santa at his local VA. But it wasn't something he set out to do. The Santa Claus they had died, and uh, they asked me if I would do it for them, and that's how it all got started. It's been 18 years now. 18 years of going to hospitals to talk to sick kids. 18 years of providing some joy to kids whose parents are deployed overseas. And 18 years of going to nursing homes to talk to the elderly. But what did this Santa do when he wasn't being Santa? I was a operating engineer. I run heavy equipment. I worked a lot in Springfield, Kansas City, Branson, Fayetteville. Mississippi, Arkansas, Little Rock. Yeah, I was on I was on the road a lot. And it was during his day job that he would meet a man who would lead him into one of his most memorable moments as Santa. I helped build a Lowe's store in uh, Marion, Mississippi, which is, and I I stayed in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, one of my uh, I ran a motor grader down there, and he was called my grade checker. He was the one on the ground that would tell me how much dirt to put in or how much to take out. And so I called ourselves Tonto and the Lone Ranger. I was down there almost seven, eight months, and he knew that I did Santa Claus because it was getting, it was that time of the year down there. And of course, closer to Christmas, everybody that sees me, they realize that for some reason I got the hair and I got the glasses and the beard. So I'm I portray Santa to them, and so uh, that's how we got to know each other. And welcome back. We continue to have this incredible surge coming up through Mobile Bay. That's right. Of course, we are in storm alert here at the Weather Channel, and good reason for it. Hurricane Katrina is still a major hurricane affecting parts of the lower Mississippi Valley. And we want to get the bottom line. And Katrina came through, and... Uh, I'd been back here probably, oh, a year or two at least, and uh, he called me and he told me what had happened down there, and he wanted to know if I would come down there and be Santa Claus for at his church because everybody down there had lost everything they had, and I said, absolutely. I need a list of all the children from from a baby up to 13. I said, I'm cutting the date off at, at 13. And I said, I need a list of all the children, male and female, and I want one major gift that they would like to have. And I collaborated with his sister because he was working down on the coast helping clean up from Hurricane uh, Katrina. And so uh, she sent me the letter with all the children's names and their ages and and what they wanted. And uh, there were uh, 44 kids on the list. So uh, when I got that, I said, oh, my, now now what am I going to do? So I went around town and just talked to everybody that I knew and told them what I was going to do and would they care to uh, give me some money. 
and uh, some did and some didn't and I didn't you know I just went on my merry way and and then uh, so I've got the money and now I'm going okay now I gotta go shopping and I go man this is gonna be so I knew a school teacher by the name of Marsha Harlan who worked out at the golf course and I've played a lot of golf all my life and I said Marsha I need help I'm in over my head I I can't buy all these presents and wrap them all and get them all ready to go and so uh I think she got the, uh, it was a teen group, and I don't know, I think they were the Honor Society, I don't remember now, it's been a while, but there were about 10 or 12 of them, and we met at the golf course, and I gave them the list, and I gave them the money, and I said, you go to Walmart, I've got to run to Joplin, I've got to go to Toys R Us, come back to the golf course, we wrapped the presents, and, and we was done in about an hour, the, 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 I couldn't have done it without the, the teens from uh, Neosho High School at the time, so everybody everybody that I just ran into was behind me 100% they trusted in me and and knew that uh, I was for real and I I really appreciated that this santa needed a sleigh to carry his gifts down to the coast of mississippi though and he found it in his dad's garage I, I asked him if I could borrow the van because it, in that time of year, you know, 10 hours on the road, you can run into anything. And uh, and he said, well, sure. And uh, so uh, as our conversation went on, he said, can I go with you? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. I'd love to have somebody go with me. I've made that trip a dozen times by myself, and it's not that much fun. So I said, oh, uh, under one circumstance, you're not getting behind the steering wheel. I'm driving this time because my dad always drew, drove before. He was a driver for Tri-State uh, Motor Transportation when I was a boy, and he always drove on vacations and stuff. So I said, yeah, you can go, but you're not touching the steering wheel, so you can enjoy this trip. So he made 50 bags of jerky for all of them down there, and uh, I smoked a couple of hams. I'm kind of known this time of year for smoking hams as well for other people and I've told her pretty good. The people in Mississippi didn't even know I was coming. The only ones that knew I was coming was my friend, his sister, and the pastor. They were totally shocked. They were practicing their Christmas carols. I could hear them, but yeah, they snuck me in the, through the back in the kitchen with all the all the presents and set me all up there in front of the Christmas tree and everything and they, and they just put the Santa had on dad and they walked him through the front and the kids just their eyes just opened up they could you know they they knew something was up they didn't know what and they followed him into the kitchen and then there I sat and then all chaos I can still see it in my mind as plain as day the little two or three year old boy that was standing right there in line first was jumping up and down jumping up and down and I just had their names on all the trash bags that were full of their presents because that's the way I transported them and so I just reach and grab a bag and read their name off and they'd come and sit on my lap and I'd give it to them and before I got to that little boy he was in tears because he thought he was going to be left out it was uh it was kind of funny and sad at the same time it was something I'll remember uh all my life because he brought joy to a group of kids 10 hours away from him who he didn't even know for John it gets to the essence of why he puts on the red suit every year and he doesn't want it any other way Uh, when I was down in Dallas one time with uh, my daughter f- over Christmas, I talked to another Santa down there, and he said, "Man, you need to come down here. I get you a job. You can make thirty thousand dollars in in a month, easy two, three, four hundred dollars a pop. And I'm busy all the time." And and uh, I told him, "No, that's you know, I'm not in. I'm, I don't do the mall scene. I I just go where I want to go and 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 where my heart leads me." And uh, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a commercial Santa. I hope that I make a difference to those children's lives that I see. I've got several repeat customers, I guess is what you want to call them, that call me every year. And they just say, you haven't retired yet, have you? And I go, no, I'm still doing it because you're the best I've ever had. And that's, that's what it's all about. It makes me feel good. It makes them feel good. And, and uh, that's why I do it. And great work on the production by Monty Montgomery. And a special thanks to Katrina Hine for bringing us this story. And my goodness, John Rogers, by day, he's an operating engineer. And if you've ever had your dirt graded, you know how important the work is he does. And he takes great pride in that, you could tell. But what he takes even greater pride in is being Santa. And that poignant story he told about getting down to 
the area that was just battered by Hurricane Katrina and taking care of kids and just volunteering at a church and driving 10 hours with his dad. That's America. That's, that's what Tocqueville saw, the great French prison reformer who came to America in the 19th century and saw Americans doing these beautiful and wonderful spontaneous things for each other, forming associations, volunteering. It's the heartbeat of this country. John Rogers' story, a Santa story, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we return to our American stories. And now it's time 
for another Rule of Law story, which is a part of our Rule of Law series, where we showcase what happens in the absence and the presence of the rule of law in our lives. Things like property rights that we just take for granted, courts and an independent judiciary, separation of powers, which gives meaning to that independence of the judiciary, and contract rights, things that in other countries, well, good luck. And by the way, that rule of law extends to all of us, good and bad and in between. Here's our own Monty Montgomery with the story of a man who violated what would seem to be a clear-cut law and the long-winded case that he became wrapped up in as a result. In 2012, Tyson Timms found himself on the receiving end of a decent amount of cash following the death of his father. He promptly bought a nice car. And a year later, drove out to sell some drugs to undercover cops. Here's Ilya Soman with the rest of the story. So he was caught and he was charged with a small scale drug offense. He admitted that he did commit a crime, but when he drove to this transaction, he was driving his Land Rover SUV, which according to estimates was worth something like between 40 and $42,000. So the state of Indiana seized the Land Rover through asset forfeiture. But what's asset forfeiture? And why did law enforcement decide to leave Tyson without his wheels over a drug offense? Asset forfeiture is a practice whereby government can confiscate property that was used in a crime, such as a car, or in some cases, even something as major as a house. And often they can do it, even if the owner of the property was never convicted of any crime, and indeed, even if he or she was never charged for it. So you get examples like the police will stop someone's car, perhaps for a minor traffic violation, then they'll ask to search the car, and then they find some money in the car, say you're transporting cash, as some people do. The police might decide it seems likely that this money was acquired in a drug transaction or some kind of other illegal transaction, and they take the car potentially, and the money as well. Similarly, if, for instance, you lent your car to a friend and then the friend was suspected of driving it to buy illegal drugs, then your car could be confiscated, even though you may not even have known that your friend was going to use it for that purpose. And sometimes that can happen even if the friend himself never got charged with anything. And there are many, many examples like this. They vary somewhat by state, uh, but the basic idea is that the government can seize property that they think might have been used in a crime. In many cases, in most states, they don't have to prove that it actually happened. They certainly don't have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Indeed, the procedures in many states are such that once they seize your property for asset forfeiture, the awareness in effect falls on you to prove that you're innocent or that the property wasn't used in a crime. And often the cost of getting the property back is actually more valuable than the property itself. So if they seize something that's worth 500 or 1,000 or even two or $3,000, as is often the case, in order to litigate the issue and get it back, even if you're successful, you may have to pay a lawyer more money than the property is worth. And it may take you many weeks or many months to even get a hearing about it, much less get the property back. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, big deal, guy buys expensive car. Guy drives the car to sell drugs to undercover cops. Guy gets punished. Who cares about his car? This seems just. But the issue here isn't the taking of the car. It's that there was no due process to take it. And law enforcement can sell assets seized via forfeiture and add it to their budgets. And if you want your stuff back, you have to take them to court using money you probably don't have. There's no accountability. There's no rule of law. So Tyson went to court. And Tyson Timms, represented by the Institute for Justice, they argued that this seizure violated the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment is best known for forbidding cruel and unusual punishment, but it also forbids excessive fines. And thus began a game of pinball for Tyson Timms and the Institute for Justice between court systems. 
So this case is unusual even by the standards of federal Supreme Court cases that not only did it reach the federal Supreme Court, but it also there were also three separate Indiana State Supreme Court decisions. And there are not many Supreme Court cases historically which are like that. That's extremely unusual. And the case raised two important issues that the Supreme Court had never previously resolved. One is whether the excessive fines clause even applies to state and local governments at all, as opposed to just the federal government. Over a long period of time, the Supreme Court has gradually decided that nearly every other part of the Bill of Rights, with a few exceptions, applies to state and local governments and not just to federal government. But they had never decided this with respect to the excessive fines clause. So when the case initially reached the state Supreme Court of Indiana, the state Supreme Court said, well, this doesn't apply to the states, or if it does, we, the Supreme Court of Indiana, can't say that it does. Only the federal Supreme Court can make that decision. The other big issue is, let's assume the excessive fines clause does apply to state governments. Do asset forfeitures qualify as excessive fines? Because maybe asset forfeitures just aren't fines at all. That's another thing that the state of Indiana argued in this case. So when the case got to the Supreme Court, the court actually showed a rare degree of unanimity. All nine justices, both liberal and conservative, concluded that the clause does in fact apply to state governments and local governments as well as the federal government. Everybody, I think, expected that outcome. It would have been very surprising if the court had said, no, this is the one part of the Bill of Rights that doesn't apply against the states. Secondly, they also ruled that at least some asset forfeitures can indeed be fines, excessive fines, and therefore, if they're big enough, they could be struck down as excessive. And they rejected the argument that forfeitures just aren't fines at all because the state did argue that this is just an attempt to seize property illegal, used for illegal purposes. It's not really a punishment of the person who committed the offense, or maybe even in many cases didn't commit any offense. And I need a court ruled correctly that fines and forfeitures are sufficiently similar that many, if not all, asset forfeitures can in fact qualify as fines. But the court left open the issue of what is it exactly that makes an asset forfeiture excessive? And this issue has ended up in the lower courts with the result that even the specific case of Tyson Timms actually made it back to the Indiana Supreme Court two more times. One time where the Indiana Supreme Court set up a test for how they think the excessiveness of the fine should be determined. And then a second case where even though the test that they shut up, I think it was clear that Tyson Tim should win under that test because among other things, the value of the Land Rover is about four times the maximum fine that you could get for a criminal conviction in Indiana for the type of illegal drug transaction that he attempted. But nonetheless, the state of Indiana, much like Inspector Javert in Way Miserable, they continued their single-minded pursuit of the Land Rover. They didn't want to give it up, so they continued to litigate the case. So it went back to the state Supreme Court yet again. This is the third time the case went to the Indiana State Supreme Court. And in that instance, the Indiana State Supreme Court finally ruled that Tyson Timms could in fact get his Land Rover back. So after a legal battle that lasted some seven years, uh, Tyson Timms did in fact recover the Land Rover and is now happily driving it. Now, most cases don't go through that long a process or are that costly. I don't know how much money IJ spent litigating this case, but it is probably in the several hundreds of thousands of dollars or even more. So obviously it was more than the value of the Land Rover, even though the Land Rover is a fairly expensive and valuable vehicle. As I said before, it's worth about $40,000. That said, the typical asset forfeiture probably involves amounts in the range of property worth $500 or $1,000. And even the lawyer's fees for a more conventional case will easily exceed that. That's actually a more general problem we have in this country that legal services for small scale losses of this kind very often outstrip what you can gain from getting back what you lost. In the Tim's case, it's pretty obvious that Tyson Tim's could not have won this case without getting excellent pro bono representation from the Institute for Justice, which represented him for free from start to finish. And they, of course, weren't solely interested in the 
particular vehicle at stake in this case. They wanted to set a general precedent. And a great job on the production by Monty Montgomery. And a special thanks to Ilya Soman for telling us this story. He's a law professor at George Mason University. Check out his book, Freedom Move, Foot Voting, Migration, and Political Freedom. And you can find that at Amazon.com. Tyson Tim's case, another installment in our great rule of law series here on Our American Stories. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.